Hello there and welcome to the Made for Love podcast, a Catholic podcast from the USCCB asking the important questions about the call to love. I'm your host, Andrew Bonapane, and today we are completing our trilogy of Nora Ephron Meg Ryan rom-coms on the 30th anniversary of Sleepless in Seattle. They knew it. Time, distance, nothing could separate them because they knew it was right, it was real, it was a movie. That's your problem. You don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie. Kara, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So good, Brad. I feel like, you know, rom-coms are maybe more my wheelhouse. I should ask you, like, have you seen this movie before? Did you have a prior relationship with I have seen this movie before and I I enjoyed it. Maybe not as much as the other two, but I enjoyed it more this time around, honestly. You have some history with this movie, right? No, shockingly. This is like, I think maybe the only Nora Ephron movie I've ever seen. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there's like some obscure niche ones that I haven't seen, but of like the major, major hits, somehow I had always avoided this one. I think as we have discussed before, like Tom Hanks is not my favorite person for a like leading romantic. Yes, you're on <laughs> record about lead. that. <laughs> Maybe my mom isn't either because it's just like never came up when I was growing up. So this is now my general refrain about Nora Ephron movies. Thoroughly enjoyable. Really great time. Great way to spend 90 minutes. I hate pretty much every message that is coming out of this movie. <laughs> Not to be such a curmudgeon, but wow. Wow. We're just- <laughs> okay. Well, that's like the perfect mix, honestly. Like you enjoyed it, but there's still plenty of stuff to complain about from a thematic perspective. Like what more could you ask for? This is the perfect podcast movie, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wait, I need, now I need to know, like you really enjoyed it. What did you enjoy about it? The dialogue is so good and so funny. Oh yeah. The acting is great. The acting is great. Oh my gosh. Meg Ryan I think this is probably her best performance of the three in terms mm. of the range. And like, there are two separate scenes where she listens to Tom Hanks call into the radio show to talk about his dead wife, where like she hears it live. And then like a week later, the radio show is doing reruns and they're playing like their greatest hit audio clips and they play it again and she hears it again. And both times she like cries while listening to it in different ways and genuinely it's amazing incredible stuff out of meg ryan there i also think this is probably her least annoying Mm. character even though i think she's like kind of a terrible person (laughs) (laughs) at least in her relationship with her now ex-fiance but she kind of like a lot of that nervous energy and you've got male feels like way more restrained. Hmm. I feel like that's the stuff that kind of like gets annoying when she gets a little too far off in the like nervous energy. Zany yeah, like screwball. This, yeah. This felt like a little bit more reined in. Hmm. I guess a little bit like kind of on par with when Harry met Sally. I've, I found her character pretty charming in that movie, too. So I, I felt more in that vein to me. There are probably a couple of good reasons why she might be reined in a little bit more. In the other movies, she's more of a character who develops and changes her mind and exhibits some agency. Whereas in this one, and tell me if this is this has something to do with why you didn't like the, the message of the movie. But in this one, the leads are kind of instruments of fate and are mm. sort of guided to where they go. And when they are in the moments, they are sort of impelled by some other force to fall in love? I don't think so. I think 
So I think her character is like meant to be pretty, you know, upper crust waspy. Mm. And I think that like that is probably some of the restraint. But to your question about just like the compelled by fate, I like just thoroughly disagree with the, the idea that like, oh, they were compelled by fate. There was like so many choices that both of or at least Meg Ryan's character is making that is like, I'm choosing to see this as a quote unquote sign, even though it's like basically nothing. And then to go over the top and be like, I'm going to hire a private investigator. I'm basically going to like obsess about this guy in my mind 24 seven is just like, that is not fate. Nobody questions the decision to hire a private investigator to stalk this guy on the other side of the country. Right. Oh yeah. Like where is, I mean, I found Rosie O'Donnell to also be like a very charming character Mm -hmm. in this movie. Peak Rosie O'Donnell. Yes. And I was like, where is she is like this good friend to be like, dude, no. (laughs) absolutely not you know the movie makes a couple of gestures to attempt to criticize the the main theme before delivering it before delivering its sort of justification for it rosie o'donnell's a big one because she has that line you you don't want to be in love you want to be in love in a movie and then both tom hanks and meg ryan's characters at the beginning of the movie express a sentiment skeptical of destiny So Tom Hanks is talking to his son at the cemetery, basically right after the funeral, saying, like, if we keep asking why your mom died, we'll go crazy. Basically, there is no why. And then Meg Ryan in, I think her first scene says something about how destiny is made up. Mm. Then both of them proceed to learn, quote unquote, that no, really, there is you are destined to be together, which I think is the main theme of the movie. I don't know if I'd say it's the main theme of the movie, but I definitely think that it's giving like a strong gesture towards like some things are meant to be even when they're hard. It's hard in my mind to disentangle the fate and the love at first sight. It's just right Mm. idea. The magic thing. Yeah. The whole like magic when Mm. you when I met him, it was just magic. And I think, you know, Tom Hanks's character expresses something similar about his ex-wife. And then he clearly has an experience when he sees her across the road. He's like dumbstruck by her beauty or something. <laughs> and I feel like like that is sort of entangled in this idea of like fate and meaning to be together, where it's like, oh, if you're meant to be together, like there'll be sparks. It'll like all just work. It just, it's so boomer. It's like really makes me <laughs> sick. I like just can't do it. But early on when Meg Ryan and her fiance, Bill Pullman, visit her family and they announce they're going to get married and Meg Ryan and her mom are trying on the wedding dress in the attic and her mom's telling her meeting story. And she like really articulates this idea of how it was magic when she and Meg Ryan's father first met. And in that moment, like Meg Ryan doesn't get it because the movie wants you to be anti-Bill Pullman and to show you that the relationship she's in has no magic, right? So wink, nudge, they're not meant to be together. Which also, you know, hat tip to Bill Pullman for pulling off a really over-the-top campy performance of a really over-the-top campy character. (laughs) Really, really sinking his teeth into the cringe. Yeah. I was like, I'm here for it. I appreciated that. I feel like that was more the message like again, I feel like it's really intertwined because it's like she's putting in all this work for like I saw a sign is destiny. She puts in all this work to basically make sure that their paths cross. And then he has the magic moment. And like now we just assume it's all good. 
it's just it's like it's antithetical to literally everything that I think we've talked about in the past with like genuine love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, conveniently, like they both independently have that. You know, it conveniently is reciprocal, right? Like she mm-hmm. totally separate from him without directly interacting with him has this moment or really several moments of deep perceived connection to this person she's never met. And then on the flip side, that same person happens to experience the same thing. Like you said, when he sees her in the road or when he sees her at the airport, uh, deboarding the plane. And movies are often susceptible to this where one character has a crush, character A has a crush on character B. And then we find out halfway or three quarters of the way through character B feels the same way without anything really causing that to happen, Mm -hmm. just does. I th- usually I think the male lead is the one who is character A and then the female lead is the one who's like character B who's made to reciprocate. But here it's flipped around which works a little bit better. Mm. I mean it certainly makes the like stalking slightly less creepy, but right. it's yeah. not stalking <laughs> if the the victim of the stalking is cool with it. In the end, maybe he'll never find out. Yeah, or would <laughs> would hypothetically be cool with it if he knew about it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned about the like deep personal connection from this one thing. Like it kind of gets at some of those core ideas that we discussed with love and responsibility about the sentimentality of feeling this deep connection when essentially you expose too much of yourself too soon, right? Like it's really easy to feel connected to somebody when they tell you something very deeply personal about them. Like you feel like you really see them and know them. And in this case, it's even more ridiculous because like he literally said it on the radio. It wasn't that they had a one-on-one conversation and he sort of overexposed himself too soon. It was like truly nationwide broadcast. And I think that's part of why all these women, I think it's very genuine that all these women wrote in because they're like, yeah, he sounds like a great guy, but he's also shown that he can share his feelings in a very intimate way. And like they feel that intimacy despite the fact that it's completely fake because it's it's just a person that you're hearing on the radio. It's not a one-to-one relationship. And frankly, even if it was a one-to-one relationship, if he told you that on the first date, you'd be like, wow, this is a lot of sharing Right. very soon. Yes. <laughs> sort of inappropriate for where we are in this relationship. <laughs> Which is to say, not even close to a first date. I overheard this guy on the street. <laughs> he talks really nice. Well, you, you mentioned all the other women who heard his call in to the radio show and were kind of similarly, I don't know, enchanted by it um, and are writing him all these letters and the and the son who who very much wants his dad to find a new wife is like going through all these letters and saying yes, no, whatever. And I don't know what there is to distinguish Annie from all the other women who had a similar reaction. Baseball. Good, Brad. How could you, all people, not have picked up on the fact that she knows baseball? She, she does think, yeah, she thinks Brooks Robinson is the greatest, which is one of the signs, which is funny. The like, kid. Now the kid is buying into this too. They, they really must be together because Tom Hanks thinks everyone thinks Brooks Robinson is the greatest. Everyone does not think that. And I don't think in 1993, everyone thought Brooks Robinson was the greatest. <laughs> all due respect to people in Baltimore, but... It's funny you say that because I feel like in general, this just feels like one of those weird Nora Ephron, like, why are you so into this? I don't really understand. (laughs) Or whoever her writing partner is. Yeah. uh, I think she lived for a while. uh, Well, I know she lived in the DC area, but she might've also lived in the Baltimore area. Oh, interesting. I mean, I know there's like always somebody as a writer in her movies. (laughs) Yeah. 
And they're generally portrayed negatively. <laughs> I guess in this case, Meg Ryan is positively portrayed. Although, what was Meg Ryan's character in When Harry Met Sally? I think she was a writer, too. This seems important. If we're completing the cycle, we need to know, because she's a journalist in this. She's a bookstore owner, and you've got mail. Oh, you're right. What is she? She's a journalist? <laughs> really? Is she? <laughs> yep. Journalist at, wait, The News? That's not right. Yeah, she's a journalist at The News. Okay. <laughs> Okay. We just edited out a minute where we both looked up what Meg Ryan's character's jobs were in each of the movies. In the last one, You've Got Mail, she's, she owns a bookstore. But then she's going to become a children's writer. Yep, that's right. She's going to become a children's writer. Yep, good point. And then in both When Harry Met Sally and also Sleepless in Seattle, she's a journalist. So <laughs> pretty consistent through line there. Yeah, but then like the male writers are more annoying, apparently. Because then isn't, isn't Greg Kinnear also a writer in... You've got mail. Yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> he's like the worst. He's like a more uh, niche, like New York writer for like the Village Voice mm. or something like that. He's full of himself. <laughs> yeah, for he's sure. more full of himself than your average writer. Other signs that it's destiny. Meg peels that apple in one go. And then a few mm. scenes later, one thing that Tom Hanks is telling his son about uh, his late wife is that she could peel an apple all in one long curly strip. Which I thought it was clever that they showed the connection before they drew attention to it. Mm. If he had said it, and then you see Meg Ryan peel the apple the same way, then you think, oh, okay, you know, I get it. But when you're not looking for it, and they show it to you, it's more subtle. Yeah. It was very obvious that she was like doing the peeling. So you don't miss that she's peeling it, but it was definitely like, oh, it's just a character thing like she's peeling the apple. So it kind of like connected the loop in a very... yeah. I mean, Nora Ephron's a great writer. I'll give her that. That was like a nice, <laughs> elegant connection. But it's interesting. That was one of the ones where it sort of was a weird thing. Like he was trying to recreate his wife. It's like, oh, here's this thing that I really like loved about this person, mm. which is a very like sweet thing to notice. And then just to be like, oh, and this other person has the same thing. And like, that's really cute and sweet too. But that's, it has nothing to do with who you are as a person. It's just like, it's sweet and cute of a thing that you notice about the person that you love, as opposed to like a qualifying factor. <laughs> yeah, right. And and fortunately, he he's not aware that Meg Ryan is also peeling apples the same way, right? Like, that's not a, that's not something he's consciously putting in the plus column. Like he, quote unquote, falls in love with her, not knowing about that. Yeah, no, that's true. No, I will say it's very, the whole movie is very strange. Like I had no idea that the conceit is that they literally don't meet until the end. Like I knew that they met on the Empire State Building, but I thought that it was like maybe a reconnection. I had no idea what the plot of this movie was, is the short answer. And I was like, oh my gosh, I like this gets weirder as the time goes. <laughs> it's like they're never going to meet. This is so strange. It's weird how much we think of like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan as a duo with like a particular give and take. But most of the experience of what we see is just like eight scenes and you've got mail, one scene at the end of this. And if anybody's seen Joe versus Volcano and remembered it, maybe, but that's not a lot of people. Yeah, it's very strange. It's a very interesting screenplay in that you do feel like they're together, even though they are never actually together. Yeah, that's probably very, the yeah. greatest achievement in the filmmaking is making you feel that exactly. Yeah, I'd agree. One other like nit I would like to pick here with the romance of the plot is in the fact that she has built up this entire idea of a man in her mind. Like 
that is so common for women to be like, oh, I met this guy and they've already like plotted out their life together and what who he is and what he's like. And then of course they're disappointed and it's so toxic. And I'm like, <laughs> now I like, we're totally reinforcing that here. Drove me bonkers the whole time. I'm like, she's just imagining this person based on one radio interview. Like, you know, nothing about him. And it doesn't, it doesn't help when she flies across the country to stalk him and she sees him from afar, like playing with his son on the beach, because that I bet really adds fuel to the fire of like painting a picture of what a hypothetical life would be like. Whereas, you know, for him, it's a very good day, but it's just a day picked at random. Yeah. The other knit for me is the girlfriend. What's her name? Oh gosh, Victoria. Victoria. (laughs) Obviously super annoying. But I'm trying to work on my hyena laugh there. <laughs> the the entire concept that she basically doesn't give a fig about what the son thinks of her. It's like you want to become his stepmom and you're just like going to bulldoze over the kid because you like the dad. Like, what is going on here? Was that like, your you impression? To like, get away. That was my impression. Huh. She did not really see. She was kind of like, mm, okay, the kid doesn't like me. Like she was there to talk to the dad. Like, I think this is just maybe a product of the time, but definitely I think today people are way more aware of the fact that like the person who has a kid, their primary responsibility is to their kid. And like, if you, well, they also generally, I think the like wisdom is to meet much later. So it's like, oh, the fact that it's like the he's gone on one date with this woman and then the second date you're like having her over to your house for dinner with this kid is yeah. like really aggressive, bad, bad decision making. <laughs> I understand it's a movie, but no, thank you. But then, yeah, she's like just there to whine and dine the dad and basically like isn't even trying to engage with Jonah, which is just a really strange choice for somebody who ostensibly is really interested in the dad because like they're a package. At least early on in that relationship, I thought she was being a good sport about it where, you know, she tries to put her best foot forward with the kid, but she doesn't have a natural rapport with him. And once she sort of detects that he is not playing, that the kid is not playing ball, that she's not going to let it get to her. Mm. But I didn't get the sense that she was treating him like, I don't know, the the stepmom to be in, um, what is it, Parent Trap? The evil blonde stepmom to be. Yeah. There's hostility. No, it's more that he's hostile towards her. It yeah. just felt a little bit to me like if I was her, then my response would not be like, you and I just need to get away for the weekend. Right. If she's trying to turn him away from his son, then that's, yeah, kind of a deal breaker. Yeah. I guess that was the, the part that like rubbed me the wrongest way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not meant to love this woman anyway, so whatever. It's no, like- <laughs> and it, it feels like she sees Tom Hanks as sort of this prize to be captured mm. almost. Which is not to say men don't look at women that way quite frequently. They do. No, but it it goes both ways where it's like, oh, again, I think it's this kind of idea just that like, oh, I'm into this guy. And so I'm in my mind, it's all said and done as opposed to it being like a journey of exploring who the person is and getting to know them better. Yeah. Also, I personally thought on the first date that the problem was that she laughed at inappropriate times, not that the laugh was bad. (laughs) Like he says one line and she starts laughing like I ain't. I'm like, he didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's a good point, too. Like if you were to edit that laugh into something that was genuinely funny, it probably wouldn't jump out at you. Yeah. I mean, that's that I'm sure was meant to be part of the egregiousness of it. But yeah. That was the most jarring part of it to me. <laughs> Jonah needs to be a little bit more specific in his laugh criticism. <laughs> yeah. 
I thought it was funny. Maybe not funny. That's a little insensitive. When Jonah's asking about whether his mom's in heaven and whether Tom Hanks believes in an afterlife. And he says, I didn't used to. And my reaction was, oh, but now you got skin in the game. So it's not just a abstract question mm. for you, huh? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that part of it is very real. If you're somebody who maybe didn't think about it before, but it's like, I mm. thought his answer was going to be, I want to believe that's true now because I want to believe that your mom is still somehow accessible. Yeah. And I mean, it is inconclusive. This movie, I don't think this movie's really interested in that question on its own, but they do a decent job of portraying like a realistic uh, mindset of a secular person who kind of previously sort of didn't have an interest in those questions. Mm. And now something, something major has happened to prompt an interest or to prompt yeah. at least some humility and uncertainty. Yeah, I agree. I feel like not a rom-com would have maybe dealt with the fallout of the grappling with that. It feels like both him and the son, maybe, I mean, you don't see very much because it's like 18 months later in Baltimore. Yeah. They're, they're over most of the quote unquote hard part. Yeah. I feel like a different movie maybe would have explored that, but inappropriate for this. Yeah. It's, a, it's still a rom-com. This isn't a family drama. No. So, so I'm curious, what did you think of the uh, Walter character? This is where I think the movie is most heavy handed about the destiny thing, because it goes out of your way to show this sympathetic, which is to say, like, not vicious guy who has no chance of being in a happy relationship with this woman he thinks he's in love with and using like weird ways of communicating it. Like he's allergic to flowers during his or right after they announce the engagement like okay that shouldn't be a reason why they're not in love but in the logic of this movie it is and poor walter doesn't get a say in that <laughs> it's like walter walter's definitely got some health issues and that's uh, that's unfortunate for him but that doesn't make him like not meg ryan's one true love or whatever no i agree. i think the thing that bothers me the most about that character well, i guess it doesn't bother me i don't know quite what to feel about it I think it's meant to allow you to not feel bad about rooting for her with Tom Hanks is the fact that I don't know that he does love Meg Ryan's character. I think that's a fair point. That's that's a better reason why they're not they shouldn't be together. He just seems sort of like he's going along. Like she says, I love you at one point. He doesn't say it back. He's just kind of like, okay, like on their way out of the house after they've announced the engagement. It's like she's like, okay, love you. And he's like, hmm. Well, I was like, oh, that's obviously like meant to be weird that he doesn't say it back. And yeah. you know, it's like, oh, you're gone for a couple of weeks. And he, in the end, he's kind of like puts it on her. He's like, you've been really distant. It's like, you seemed like you were kind of a weirdo to begin with. Like, I don't know that there was a lot of back and forth rapport. I think the the scene where she rejects him and he takes it so well probably is evidence of your point. Yeah. He's like, hmm, that's too bad. He is almost immediately making a mature, responsible, level-headed decision and saying, I don't want you to settle for me. I don't want to be something, somebody that anybody settles for. I mean, if he, if he was immediate, the movie requires him to reach that conclusion in a short amount of time. But the fact that he was able to must say that he wasn't hugely emotionally invested in this relationship. Yeah. It's a very strange reaction out of the gate. So yeah, I don't know if I have like, it's not necessarily criticism. It feels necessary for the movie, but it's also like, huh. That was weird. <laughs> I'm going to grade of the three breakups that Meg Ryan has with the three other guys in these movies. I'm going to grade oh, right. the second in terms of personal difficulty. The easiest one mm -hmm. is the you've got male Greg Kinnear breakup where they're like, you don't love me. I don't love you. Great. <laughs> 
that one was just inexplicable where i'm like why were you guys in a relationship at all it's <laughs> so, so convenient. strange um and then there's this one which is not easy but still could have gone way way worse and then in when harry met sally she has that breakup with that other guy who's not billy crystal which i don't think we even see it's just sally like sort of talking about it after the fact Joe. Yeah, Joe. And she's she's somewhat broken up about that one. She's she's actually experiencing some hurt there, <laughs> unlike in the other two. <laughs> hey, at least the other guy breakups get easier as time goes on. It's true. You know, as she gets older and cares a little less, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that is also maybe... No, I can't say that. I was going to say that that might be the ranking for level of insight into the human person that Nora Ephron has. But I feel like You've Got Mail is maybe a little bit better than this one. Eh, I take that back. I feel like there's a lot of insight in this movie into the way that certainly like the connection that you make when somebody shares their feelings very deeply and the kind of like mania around the idea of love at first sight, while also clearly sending like the wrong conclusion around those themes. I think if you wanted to demonstrate to somebody what people meant by love at first sight and the effects that that mindset can have on people. This is a great, I don't know, test case. And then you say, okay, but this is not, you shouldn't expect this out of life or love. A more serious dramatic movie would basically be showing you the back half where she realizes like, I can't believe I broke off my engagement with a like perfectly nice guy. <laughs> well, maybe he'd have to be a different kind of guy that she broke up with. He'd have to be like a better guy that she broke up with because of the love at first sight thing to have the realization later, like, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't have done that because I was being sentimental. What we really need now is we need to imagine that Meg Ryan's characters in all three movies they're all literary people. We need to combine them into one person and force this Uber Meg Ryan to choose between the three male leads, having gotten to know them as we get to know the male leads in the movie. So she has to choose between end of movie Billy Crystal, end of movie Tom Hanks 1, and end of movie Tom Hanks 2, and see what, what decision-making process she... <laughs> who does she end up with, <laughs> if any? That is a good question. I feel like she would probably pick Harry. I feel like that's a, wow. all of her characters. That'd be the overlap. It'd be like, they do have this like deep friendship. Although you're right, like this, this movie, she's like so into the love at first sight thing. I take it back. I don't know. It's a good question. Because at the end of When Harry Met Sally, I think our conclusion was like, are they even in love? Or are they just like comfortable? They're talking mm. about the wedding cake. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. I'd have to I'd have to re-listen to my my thoughts on that one. Yeah, we might have we might have to come back to that because that's a it's an interesting thought exercise. If that feels like a good we need a a quick interim showdown. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed the movie though. Glad I got to finally see it. Thoroughly enjoyed it for all of the things that I despite all the things that I disliked about it. <laughs> Glad we could close the Efron Meg Ryan. Complete the trifecta. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Trifecta. <laughs> Well, then we can leave it there. Kara, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Have a good one. And a happy Easter to you, too. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Bye now, and God love you.